0: Good morning and happy Easter, whether this is your first time here with us or whether you've been attending RBC for quite some time, I am thankful you are here today on Easter Sunday. Now, the text that I have chosen to focus on today is a short text at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. So I invite you to turn over there with me to the first chapter of the book of Hebrews. The last week for Palm Sunday, Phil drew our attention to the promised king. And then on Friday night, if you were here with us, we spent time together rehearsing what happened to the king. We spent time singing and reading about the crucifixion, about the rejection and execution of the king. But today, on Easter Sunday, I want to draw our attention to the resurrection and exaltation of the king. And to do that, I want to look at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Our focus will be on just three verses today. But before we read them, I think it would be helpful to hear just a couple things about the book as a whole. If you've ever read Hebrews or heard anything about it, you might realize that we don't actually know who wrote it. Unlike many other New Testament books, the author of this book never says clearly who he is, The original readers would have known, but we don't know. Who do you think it was? It could have been Luke or Paul or Apollos or someone else. The second thing about the book is that it was written primarily for what kind of people originally? The title of the book may tip you off to this. It was written primarily to a group of Jewish Christians. And some of those Christians were being tempted to turn away from Jesus back to Judaism. This helps explain why when you read the book, there are so many references to the Old Testament scriptures, and it also helps us understand why maybe the main message of the book is that Jesus is better. And then third, although the book of Hebrews kind of reads like some of the other letters in the New Testament, it often feels more like a sermon than a letter. It often has the feel of a pastor pleading with the people that he loves, quoting scripture to them, pointing them again and again to Jesus, urging them to keep running the race and pleading with them to not give up and to not go back. Now, with those things in mind, I want to read the first 3 verses. So read with me Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. So it says, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What I wanna do today is very, very simple. I want to walk through those verses line by line. You can follow along in your Bible or also have it up on the PowerPoint today. As I've worked through this text, I have noted that there are, I think, eight lines in this text, and we're going to go through them one by one. Okay, so take a look at the first line. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets Okay, so if you read a lot of the letters in the New Testament, they will say things like, hello, at the beginning of them. This is not that kind of book. Okay? Instead, he says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay, so I want to think about that, that line. Okay, one thing we should remember as we look at it is that the line itself was written a really, really long time ago. Okay, so th- this line itself was written something like 1,960 years ago. But the author, when he wrote it, was saying that for a long, long time before he wrote the line, God had already been speaking in many ways. And you can read about that throughout the Old Testament, throughout the first two-thirds of the Bible. The God of the Bible, from the opening verses, is a God who speaks. And what this line says is that God spoke over the course of many generations in many different ways. Sometimes God spoke audibly to his people. At other times, God spoke through a vision or a dream. But most often, God spoke to his people through the prophets. We just finished a study of one of those prophetic books, the book of Jeremiah. But there were many more prophets than Jeremiah. God spoke to his people through Moses and Samuel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and many more. God is a God who wants to be heard and who wants to be known. And so God spoke again and again throughout history to our fathers by the prophets. Now line line two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So do you sense the contrast between verse 1 and 2? Long ago, versus but in these last days. God spoke to our fathers. God has spoken to us. Through his prophets, by his son. Throughout the Old Testament, God revealed himself in many ways. But in these last days, God has revealed himself in a unique and special way in his own son. Now, who is God's son? The kids in here, do you know who God's son is? Who is God's son? Layla, do you know? Jesus. Good answer. God's son is Jesus. The son of God left heaven's glory to become a human being, to live as one of us, and to unveil God to us. God had already been speaking for a long time before he came. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. The previous revelation, which is found in the Old Testament, was good, faithful, and true. But this new revelation is even clearer. It is even brighter, and it is even better. Now, what does the author want us to know about the Son of God? That is the next six lines of the text, lines 3 through 8. So look at line Three. God's son is the one whom God appointed, the heir of all things. Okay, so in Psalm two, remember I read that earlier. We saw something just like this. In the psalm, God says to the Messiah, to His anointed King, "You are My son. Ask Me." And I will give you the nations as your inheritance. I will give you the ends of the earth as your own possession. The promised king in Psalm 2 is Jesus. Jesus is the one who will inherit everything. It will all belong to him. In other words, there is not one thing in this universe, not one thing that you own, over which Jesus can't say, that is mine, for that will be mine. Jesus is Lord over all, and he is the heir of all. Line four. This is also in verse two. Through whom also God created the world. Not only is Jesus the heir of everything, he is the one who created all things. Or more specifically, the text would say, God the Father created the world through the work of his own son. Now, at this point, for those of us who are familiar with the Bible, we might start to think, you know, that sounds a lot like the beginning of another book in the New Testament that is maybe even more familiar than the book of Hebrews, and that is the Gospel of John. Maybe you remember hearing words like this from John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, which is a way to talk about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, there was not anything made that was made. In other words, Jesus is responsible for all that is here, including us. Without him, nothing would be here that is here. Line five. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. What does that mean? What is he claiming? He's saying Jesus is the visible demonstration of all that God is. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. This is like what Jesus claimed about himself in John chapter 14, when one of his disciples, Philip, is like, Just Jesus, can't you just show us the Father? We'd be happy if you just did that. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you ask me a question like that? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The invisible God became visible in Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his home among us and we saw his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you look at Jesus and how he lived, if we could have beheld him in his life on earth, or when we look at him through the scriptures, we are seeing God in human flesh. When we hear Jesus speak, we are hearing God speaking. Jesus is a man, but he is more than a man. He is God In human flesh, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Now, line six, verse three. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not only did Jesus create everything, he actively sustains everything. God did not just create the world and then let it go. Jesus actively sustains this universe. It is only through his powerful word that this world is held together. If Jesus stopped sustaining everything, the whole world would fall apart. Our very existence, and the existence of even those who don't like Jesus, is entirely dependent on him continuing to hold us together. Paul says something very similar in Colossians chapter 1. He says, By Jesus, All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether we're talking about thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus and Jesus is before. All things and in Jesus, all things hold together. If Jesus stopped making us live, we would be dead. If he stopped sustaining this world, it would fall apart. Jesus upholds the entire universe by his powerful word. Now line seven, after making purification for sins. Now you might think that's only half a line, okay? But I divided it because I really like this line and we need to think about it, okay? So line seven and eight go together. What does this mean? After making purification for sins. What is a sin or what are sins? To sin in the Bible is to break God's law. It is to fail to love God most of all. It is to fail to love our neighbors as we ought. It is to do what we know we shouldn't. It is to not do what we know we should. And what is clear in the Bible is that none of us has been what God wants us to be. And even if you don't care about God, you would probably admit you haven't even been what you know you should be. God wants us to be honest, and we know we should be. And yet we often lie or deceive. God wants us to show kindness, and we know we should. And even so, there are many times when we have it within our means to show kindness, and we don't. We often withhold mercy. God wants to have the first place in our hearts and yet we often seek our own desires or dreams over him. And there are countless other ways in which we sin against God and against others. Sin in the Bible always leads to death and judgment. That's true from the Garden of Eden on through the story of Scripture. One well-known text about this is from Romans. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But in this text in Hebrews, you actually notice the focus is on another consequence of sin. Not so much about death, but rather that sin stains us. Sin makes us dirty before God. Sin makes us unclean before a holy God. I mean, think about the line, the picture in the line. After making purification for sins. Or other translations say, when he had cleansed us or purged us from our sins this is one way to understand the human problem in the bible god is a holy god undefiled separate from sin and we are not so how can any human being dwell in the presence of a god like that we need something to wash us from our guilty stains something to cleanse us and the problem in the bible is that we don't have it. There is no soap strong enough to take these kinds of stains away. We cannot undo what we have already done. And that is why the line is so important. It's because it points us to the hope that our sins can be cleansed, to the hope that our stains could be washed away. That's why it says, after making purification for sins, But the line shows us that the hope of cleansing is found not within. It's found in someone else, in someone better than us. It's found only in Jesus, the Son of God. He's the one and only person who could take away all our guilty stains. But how did he do that? If you read the book of Hebrews, it answers that question again and again. Jesus did it by offering one sacrifice for sin. Throughout the Old Testament, God made a way for his people's sins to be cleansed. They could be cleansed through the blood of innocent animals. Since our sins deserve death, God made a way for his people to be spared. They could be spared by the death of a substitute sacrificial animal. But one of the biggest ideas, if you read the book of Hebrews, is that as as the author looks back at all those sacrifices that were offered, he realizes and he teaches that those sacrifices could never fully and finally take away human sin. That is why they had to be offered again and again and again. But Jesus offered a better sacrifice. What was it? He offered his own body as the sacrifice. That's what Good Friday is all about. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Through his sacrificial blood, we can be cleansed from our sins fully and forever. And how do we know that for sure? That is line eight. After making purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That last line is how we know for sure that Jesus did what he set out to do, that he did all that he was sent here to do. After making purification for our sins, he sat down. Now, what does it mean that Jesus sat down? I can think of different things. One, that at least implies that Jesus lived after he died. In other words, Jesus made purification for sins by dying. That's how he did it. He shed his blood for us, but then after that, he sat down. This means Jesus' death for our sins was not the end of Jesus' story. After Jesus died on the cross, God the Father raised him from the dead. That is implied in the text and throughout the book of Hebrews. And this is what Easter Sunday is all about God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is risen from the dead. And yet, if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll see that the author does not talk about the resurrection a lot. He does a little bit, but he doesn't talk about it a lot. It's not like it's not important, but his emphasis in Hebrews is actually on what Jesus did after he rose from the dead. What did he do after he died? And after he rose, he sat down. Why? What does that communicate? The second thing is that that communicates that Jesus has been exalted to the seat of highest honor. Isn't that what the text is getting at? He sat down where? At the right hand of the majesty on high. After he died, God raised him from the dead and then told him to sit down at his own right hand. This is why we read Psalm 110 earlier. The author of Hebrews loved that psalm that I read, especially the first verse where the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord who is told to sit down is Jesus. This is how we know that his sacrifice for our sins was accepted. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins in his death on the cross, and the Father accepted the sacrifice. How do we know this? Because the Father raised him from the dead and told him to sit down at the seat of honor. But that's not all we learn from the line. There is one more big idea in Hebrews about this. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down. What does this mean? This means that Jesus had finished all the work that he set out to do. Here we might think of Jesus on the cross and what he knew from the cross, what he cries out with a loud voice from the cross. When he cries out, it is finished. Jesus knew when he died, he had done everything his father wanted everything we needed him to do. But in the book of Hebrews the author shows us this by telling us again and again that Jesus sat down. He sat down because there was no more work for him to do. He had done everything needed. And perhaps one of I mean one of my favorite texts in the whole Bible is in Hebrews chapter 10 when the author compares this to the priest who served for over a thousand years. He said every priest, every Jewish priest, stands daily at his service, never sitting down, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus' work is finished. He has done everything we needed him to do. There is nothing else you need to do to be forgiven of your sins, but to look to him, to be clean from your guilty stains. There is no one else you need but Jesus. His work is finished. His work is sufficient. And the proof of that is that God raised him from the dead and told him, sit down. In light of what I hope has been a very simple, very clear sermon today, I have two very simple words of application for you. First, if you do not yet know that your sins are forgiven, if you don't know yet that you are right with God. I want to call you to repent from your sins and to look to Jesus for forgiveness. He is all that you need. And he is rich to all who call on him. This is what our kids quoted for us today. He is rich to all who call. There is. No distinction between the people that can call, between Jew or Gentile, old or young, male or female. God is rich to everyone who calls, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no other way to be clean. What can wash away our sins? What did the songwriter answer to that? Nothing but the blood of of Jesus. You can be clean from whatever you've done through trusting in his finished work, his death on the cross and his resurrection. And the second application is I think right in line with what the author of Hebrews whoever he was would have told us, cuz I think this is the big application in Hebrews. If you've already come to Jesus, don't turn Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep to the path. Is he not worthy of that? Jesus created us. He sustains us. He is our savior, the son of God, the revelation of all that God is, the perfect sacrifice, the priest who offered the sacrifice and the risen king. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Do not give up and do not go back. Keep to the path. Remember Jesus, risen from the dead. Remember Jesus, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Fix your eyes on Jesus and run. Let's pray. Father, this has been... Such a simple text to work through, but it is deep and it is profound. These are the biggest claims that could be made about creation, about the existence of this world, about your nature about your son, about our sins, about his cross, his resurrection, and his enthronement. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, clarify anything that was unclear and drive these words deep into our hearts that we may all look to Jesus and live. Lord, I thank you for every person who came out here this morning. I pray that we have all seen Jesus today. And let us behold him now in this table. We pray this in his name. Amen.